Welcome to the award-winning Legal News and Review, recognized from the Florida Bar Award of Excellence, featuring the law firm of Santucci Fiore Fiel, practicing intellectual property, business, and entertainment law and litigation. Located in downtown Fort Lauderdale is Mike Santucci, legal panel attorney who co-chairs the intellectual property section of the Broward Bar. Legal News and Review, the only real problem solver radio program using the law, with your moderator, Philip Bell, and legal panel attorney, Gary Singer, chair of the Broward County Bar Association's Real Property Section. Gary Singer is board certified in real estate law, also syndicated columnist from the Sun Sentinel. He is an expert in his fields of practice. And nationally known criminal defense attorney, Gary Ostro Esquire. Over 30 years defending the accused in both state and federal courts. With over 500 jury trials to his credit, Gary Ostro's practice focuses on Fourth Amendment issues as related to search and seizure, as well as federal civil rights cases against police officers as well as the departments and city in which they operate. Now, here's your moderator, Philip Bell. On the docket for today's broadcast, it's official. Florida has a new state bird, and it's called the construction crane. From Miami to Palm Beach, construction is booming here in South Florida. But so is construction defect lawsuits. That is absolutely overwhelming the courts right now. Today, from the national law firm Lidecker and Diaz, is board-certified in construction law attorney Spencer Mallard, who is a partner in Lidecker Diaz. Hello. Good afternoon. And also, today, we are recording live at Kelly Ustall Building in their mock courtroom. You know, Kelly Ustall is committed to helping you seek justice. Just go to justiceforall.com. Again, justiceforall.com. And also, a special welcome to our Florida listeners on 96.9 FM, 103.9 FM, 740 AM, along with our iHeart Tune in and iRadio Now national listeners, welcome to the show. I also want to remind our listeners, hey, you know, you could go to uh, Facebook, just Google Facebook Legal News and Review and see the production of the program. We get more and more people every single week that we broadcast through that venue as well. It's a lot of fun to watch us screw around, especially if we take breaks <laughs> as well. So, again, just go to Facebook Legal News and Review, and you can actually see a cool uh, courtroom here as well. And also introducing our legal panel host for today's program is Gary Astro. Good afternoon, hey, Gary. How you doing, buddy? Good to be here. You look good, man. Thanks. I don't know how you do it. Yes, Michael Santucci and Gary Singer should be back next week. Spencer Mallard, welcome to Legal News Review, and good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Spencer, your practice includes a representation of owners, contractors, design professionals in a variety of, of real estate development transactions as well. But construction defect is actually a good part of your practice. And the first question we have is actually, what is considered a construction defect? And I have a second question about your favorite statute, 558. <laughs> what is a, uh, a construction defect? Well, that often tends to be the, the subject of litigation, but uh, I think a nice bright line test to put between a construction defect and a not a construction defect is if you've got something in, in, in a structure that either doesn't comply with the Florida Building Code, doesn't comply with the contracts for construction, or doesn't comply with a recognized industry standard, that's generally what people refer to as a construction defect. What a construction defect isn't is 
uh, a condition that the owner just doesn't happen to like based on aesthetic preference. Understood. Like, that, that last yeah. one, this is Gary Astro for the record, but that yep. last example you said was not a basis for a constructive defect or was? I didn't uh, catch that. Was not. Typically it's not. I mean, there, there are. Not a subjective liking of a design. Exactly. It shouldn't be, right? It shouldn't be. I mean, there, there are some exceptions to that, but. Uh, yeah, like my wife. She would, she would not be happy knowing that. But go ahead. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, of course, you know, we, we always run into, into uh, homeowners, building owners that uh, envisioned their project uh, turning out a different way than it did. And, and sometimes that can be the basis of a construction defect claim if it's something that was actually part of the contract or something that was actually part of the design. Uh, so, you know, for example, if uh, a certain architectural feature of a building was supposed to look a certain way, you know, such as a wall being, you know, being a certain shape and a certain angle, and it was something that was key to the overall appearance of the building, you could argue that that's a construction defect. Hmm. What what people are, tend to disagree upon, and I would. Uh, take the position is not a construction defect is if uh, you, you find yourself with a homeowner or, or project owner who just doesn't happen to like the way something looks. And uh, you, know, you, you see examples such as, well, I wanted a, a certain paver-lined driveway with a certain finish on it. Right. And the finish performs exactly how the finish is supposed to perform. It's not uh, peeling. It's not degrading. It's not allowing erosion of the material around it. But it just doesn't quite look like the way that the project owner wanted it to be. Well, in the absence of something very specific in the contract or something very specific in the design that the contractor agreed to, right. that's simply not going to be a construction defect. That's just you didn't you didn't see it the way that the contractor saw it, and that's just unfortunate. Yes. Mm -hmm. now uh, what, uh, hi, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Eric, Eric mm -hmm. Inc. would have a question about uh, buyer and the seller. Mm -hmm. uh, the seller um, does not disclose the improvements that they've made to the Florida room in the back. They uh, have a. Uh, they didn't. They maybe not permitted all their uh, their improvements. It had pre-existing uh, wiring and electrical, but then they covered that up with uh, uh, sheetrock, and then of course they didn't disclose it at the time of closing, and now the buyer has that property. Is that the kind of law that you? That is uh, something we frequently encounter, and uh, basically that's what's called a latent defect, uh, and that's a, a popular topic of, uh, of uh, construction defect disputes. And uh, you know, if you're if you're talking about your the example you gave, where it's buyer versus seller, uh, typically what the the law will hold, and it's you know, fairly well defined, is that uh, a seller has an obligation to disclose something that they knew should uh, affect the value of the property or the structural integrity of the property and, and so forth. So if it's something that the seller knew or should have known and doesn't disclose and then it becomes discovered later on, yes, that's the kind of thing that I'm that very impressed. Being. That's the known hidden material defect law. You know, you, you primarily represent some of the largest contractors, developers in the, in the country, let alone for the state of Florida. As well, yeah, I'm privileged to do it. Yeah, no, you got. You that's how we found you. Is uh, you were referred to us well, as well. Well, thank you to whoever referred me. Yep. <laughs> um, I have a question. What um, 
What is it that interested you in this particular area of law, uh, if, you, if you know, if you can pinpoint it, about your background or, or mm -hmm. uh, your growing up or experiences? Sure. Well, I, I can't say that I you know, was a little boy growing up and you know, thinking I was going to be a construction lawyer. I probably wanted to be a football player or a golfer or something <laughs> like that. But uh, I still uh, want to be a golfer. I still do, too, but uh, I don't think it's in the cards for me. Uh, so uh, you know, I, I did always have an interest in construction. I, I did do some odd construction jobs growing up, so I, I was around it. Uh, you know, fast forward uh, many years later, I was in the practice of law. Uh, I uh, uh, had my own practice with a partner in, uh, in Aventura circa 2008-2009 doing transactional work, construction, development, uh, like a lot of people were back mm -hmm. then. And then we had a little problem with the real estate market, and uh, you know, a lot of that uh, kind of dried up. Right. Uh, yeah, a you know, little bit. Uh, so then, you know, so you, you, you look around and you say, okay, well, well, what's next? What matches my skill set? And, uh, really, uh, you know, there were some changes in the law right around 2007 that began to really take hold in 2008, 2009, uh, where it really made it, uh, more advantageous, uh, for uh, certain property owners to go ahead and try to, uh, assert construction defect claims. And, and that's not to say that the claims aren't valid. Right. But uh, like anything else, uh, sometimes you have changes in the law that make uh, make a claim more advantageous or make it easier to collect. And what I'm referring to specifically is there was a change in, uh, or, or I guess a clarification or a change, however you want to look at it, uh, by the Florida Supreme Court and what insurance covered when it came to construction defects. Mm -hmm. So uh, you know, I see this change in the law, and I'm you know coming off the heels of seeing a lot of what I was doing not really being uh, you know there weren't a lot of cranes up uh, back in those days. <laughs> That's true. Uh, so uh, you know I, I saw this new area of the law that was it wasn't new, but it was it was about to, to grow, and uh, I said, well you know I, that's something that I, I'm familiar with. I've got a background in it, and uh, let's let's see where it takes us. Well, progress continues. Developers are using even uh, money that's put down. On the property, 50%, 70% down, and they're using it to help construct. And it's legal, and it's making these uh, uh, locations successful. But there's tens of thousands of new units that are coming online. And, you know, developers look at their projects as their children. Of course they do. You know, I mean, that's their beloved child. Um, some of them like them even better than their children. That's a whole <laughs> other story. No comment. But they have no intention, but they have the best of the best. But that doesn't always happen. And that's when you come into play, when somebody is being accused of something that they're completely wrong. They did not uh, do this. Or, or worse, that uh, they're being accused of something that they didn't even work on. I, I, it's interesting. Before we did this segment, I, I looked at a host of different cases where even from drywallers and so forth didn't even really work on the property. Mm -hmm. And yet they're being sued. Why is that? Well, I think part of it is, you know, a lot of times when these suits come along, it's many years after the project's been built. And right. the records of exactly who did what and where and when may not exactly be all that clear. And, you know, all it takes is somebody finding a subcontractor's name in a document or even a billing record. I've seen that plenty where, you know, it's a billing ledger by where the general contractor had a whole list of people. And uh, everybody in that list got a letter, and everybody eventually got a lawsuit. And uh, th those things do happen. But I'd say, by and large, most of the time, uh, you know, I, I would say you know, property owners do get it right as least to who's involved. 
I think the the change that's coming in the law and with the you know a recent change in Chapter 558, right. they they want uh, you know the, the legislature is encouraging property owners to give more definition to what the claims are. Let's asserted. let's uh, the foundation of 558. We mm-hmm. mentioned it before for those that are maybe a neophyte but, or mm-hmm. others that heard about it but want to know more information. Mm-hmm. What is Statute 558? What's the purpose of it? Well, Chapter 558 is uh, basically you can call it either a right to cure statute or you can call it a pre-suit uh, uh, statute mm-hmm. and essentially what it is it's uh, an effort by the the state of florida to try to get uh, property owners contractors developers design professionals to see if they can work out their differences before they end up engaging in litigation uh, because oftentimes these cases end up being very cumbersome on the court system due to the number of parties so there's been a real uh, effort by the legislature and, and the state overall to try to encourage people to resolve their differences pre-suit through the 558 process. Oh, if it only would work that way. <laughs> Spencer, <laughs> yeah. uh, um, I know there's no uh, pat answer for this, but what mm-hmm. if you can give us a standard typical scenario of what brings a construction defect to the forefront? I mean, it's not always an injury. Uh, probably isn't uh, most of the cases aren't mm-hmm. injuries or are they? What what makes these uh, constructive defects issues uh, as a practical matter? Well, there there really can be some that do involve injuries, but like you said, I think that is uh, probably on the minority of what you'd, you'd call construction defect claims. A lot of times, it's really water intrusion. That's that's what gets people's attention. You know, when when they're sitting in their home and they see water coming in, there's a, a natural. Uh, inclination by by residents or owners of property to say that shouldn't be happening, and uh, and then uh, from from there they usually there's usually a phone call made to an attorney or to a forensic professional such as an engineer or a contractor uh, to investigate uh, the condition, and more often than not they're going to find something uh, that's causing the the water intrusion. And then it becomes the subject of dispute and a claim. Is there a period of like a statute of limitations that's built in where after a certain number of years, a private home, for example, despite what may be clearly uh, a defect, you can't claim based on a statute? Yes, there is. There's really two things uh, that, that come into play there. There's the statute of limitations and there's the statute of repose. The statute of limitations, uh, I think you, some people could quibble about this, but I think most would agree that it's uh, four years uh, from from when a owner sh- knew or should have known uh, that a defective condition was present. Right. That's one thing. The other thing is the statute of repose, which is a 10-year period, and that's also been the subject of dispute as to when that 10-year period runs, but I, I, based on some recent changes to Florida statutes, I think most people would agree that that 10 years begins to run when the contractor uh, submits its application for final payment, uh, assuming there's already been certificates of occupancy and some other things that have been done. So when does repose apply versus the statute of limitations? I'm not clear on that. And it's, uh, it's something that people contend with a lot. So uh, <laughs> I'm sure that the yes. plaintiff is always yeah. looking for the statute of repose uh, to mm-hmm. go under that theory for obvious reasons. Yes, and uh, it's definitely something that's been the subject of a lot of arguments in, in various cases. But uh, I think the limit... The way I would differentiate the two, limitations is something that you can say is indefinite. It's something that's subjective somewhat uh, based upon when somebody knew or should have known uh, you know, when the defect occurred. So that, that four years could begin running a year after the property's built. It could begin running five years after the, pro- the property's built. It could start running nine years after the property is built. It's when the condition 
to a reasonable person should have been known to exist. So there's a little bit of gray area when it comes to statute of limitations. Statute of repose by design is black and white. It really is from 10 years from the triggering date when the statute runs, when that 10th year ticks off, you are done as a property owner. The intention is you are not to assert a claim. And the reason why, it's not to penalize property owners. The reality is if you have 10 years go by, the likelihood that people are going to be able to have the tools to defend themselves is reduced because you're going to have the documents that are gone. The people involved in construction right. have probably moved on to different companies or different or states. So different you find states. it to be a reasonable, a reasonable right. period of time. Uh, if you had to change it, what would you do? Well, if not, or, or nothing, or what wouldn't you do? Well, given that my clients are developers, general contractors, and uh, design professionals, I'd probably shorten it. But uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, probably. Uh, but uh, that being said, uh, you know, it, it was it was 15 years for a long time, and then in 2006 they dropped it down to 10 years. Yeah, I could argue for a shorter time period, uh, but uh, you know, I wouldn't say 10 years is unreasonable. Let's put it that way. Well, typically the uh, insurance companies pay. I understand uh, the damages if there are damages. Is correct. Again, the subject of many lawsuits, right. but uh, I'd say there, there's definitely many instances where insurance companies do end up paying uh, for uh, the alleged damages. Uh, there is a whole other body of coverage uh, litigation that goes on relative to these uh, construction and design defect claims. Uh, but in my experience, you know, the vast, vast majority end up being resolved with some amount of money being paid by an insurance company or many insurance companies. Wow. Got a quick question for you. Sure. Just switching gears a little bit, mm -hmm. thinking about the residential homeowner mm -hmm. who hires a, someone to redo their kitchen or remodel the back room or whatever's going on. And they get into the contract, they put, give him some money down, and then, of course, they don't hear from him in a timely manner. Mm -hmm. And I, then they get upset, of course, because they have their kitchen torn up, and then <laughs> they can't find the guy in the construction to right. come and fix and finish things up. And So how can, what tips can you give to the residential homeowner to cover their back room? Well, first and foremost, hire licensed contractors. That is the best advice I can give anybody because there, unfortunately, are a lot of people out there who are not licensed and are out there to make a quick buck. Now, the you know we could probably have a separate show. That oh, would, yeah, after would, the hurricane? Are you kidding? <laughs> we could have a separate show on in, those in stories. In Florida? Yeah, in Florida. Imagine, imagine that. No, imagine that. Yeah. Uh, we could have a separate show on that, but I could, I'll say that that's first and foremost is get a licensed contractor. Second, make sure they're insured and, you know, ask for a copy of their insurance policy, not just a certificate of insurance. Good point. Uh, I think that's a real important thing. Most people aren't going to be doing uh, home projects that are large enough that are going to justify a bond, you know, which is basically a, it's almost like a, a a security uh, interest uh, that's offered by either an insurance company or financial institution. That's You see that for larger projects. Uh, so I wouldn't spend much time worrying about that. And then, of course, just the good old you know, word of mouth, finding out uh, right. what you know what the, the contractor's you know, reputation in the community is. You know, we have all kinds of websites now that do that. You can contact the business, Better Business Bureau in your uh, We just don't want to pay twice for the same repair work. Of course. And so you got to make sure the contractor pays the subs. Oh right. yes, that's well. I think there's that, yeah. but then it's also you give you give the contractor a down payment, and then 
Well, that's more. They're looking for him. That's more Gary Ostro's theory. <laughs> that's <laughs> called criminal fraud. Right. Well, I'll, I'll, representing the, I'll yeah. be representing yeah. the subcontractor for uh, grand theft in the right. first degree, probably. But yeah. is there a special there wording in the contract that you would put in? Yes. Uh, so, I, you know, basically, I would insist that uh, my contractor have a paid-on-paid clause, which means uh, that the, the subcontractors will only get paid when the contractor gets paid. So you 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 avoid that scenario where you have subs that are doing good work. And the contractor for the general contractor for whatever reason isn't holding up its end of the deal, and uh, the, you're not paying the contractor, but yet you don't have the subs still have you know some some recourse against you. Now there's a lien law that again we could do probably another whole a, show. a whole show and I'm probably right. a little bit more of a boring show, <laughs> but that's there's a, I would encourage every homeowner uh, to try to understand the lien law. There are some very serious uh, serious consequences that go well, with the lien. One law. thing I want to bring up is the fact that you are board certified, and mm-hmm. those that listen to our program understand board certified is a special recognition and designation. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, it's very difficult. There's probably within construction maybe 150 attorneys somewhere. That few out of 110,000 practicing attorneys in the state of Florida. I mean, that are certi- board certified? That are board certified, yeah. Yes. And I, I, you probably have the stats better than I, but I it, it is a small community, and um, uh, I feel privileged to be part of it. Uh, but, uh, yes, it's a, it's a rigorous process that we go through. But you're held to a higher standard. Mm-hmm. You are, uh, you know, you're known as a problem solver. So when you take on a case where someone says this, that, or the other thing wasn't done, you're in the trenches. You you hire the engineer to go out there. Mm-hmm. You hire uh, what needs to be done to protect your client as well. Construction defects are inevitable. You know, some small, some large. But it seems to me, uh, growing up, when my family built their own house, to other family members who built commercial property, there was always some issue, some problem, and usually they were called jerks. But that's a whole <laughs> other story. Um, but we are in a construction boom, and so if somebody is listening that has an issue regarding um, construction defects and they're not even sure if they're uh, a, a contractor or what have you, a developer, because that's who actually you serve, correct? Who actually is your target audience? Well, I, you know, I have a pretty broad practice, but I'd I say the, the majority the majority of my clients tend to be developers or general contractors. Uh, I also I, my practice is statewide, so sometimes depending on geographical area, you know, if I'm in North Florida, I tend to represent a larger amount of subcontractors uh, or design professionals. Uh, it's really just a function of the market. You know, you come from a great firm, Lidecker Diaz. Thank you. And uh, you're well known. Uh, about how many attorneys do you have in your firm? Oh, well, we have uh, you know, right around 80 attorneys, and uh, we're uh, you know, a Florida-based firm with offices throughout the state. Uh, we also have offices in uh, New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. And uh, we, we're uh, proud to be uh, one of the larger firms doing this kind of work in Florida and uh, hope to be doing it for a very long so time. So right now when the weather is bad in New York, which it is, <laughs> the nor'easter, uh, I guess a lot of your uh, partners come down to Florida. If they can find an excuse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have time for a quick question. Maybe sure, go ahead. Even if we didn't. Um, <laughs> being this is like a lot of community living with the condos down here, what bright line rule is there, if any, when it comes to a condo owner and there's a, a common area versus, say, a leak in the ceiling coming from the condo above? It gets a little complicated. You've got the association, you have the owner above, you have the guy who's in the premise that's being damaged. 
quick analysis. Very quick analysis. You got to, if, if you're the unit owner, you got to understand what's your unit and what's a common element. You got to go to your condo documents, which will define that for you. Typically, it's the, the interior finished portion of your unit is going to be yours. Everything outside of that is going to be the condo association. So if there's a leak coming from the guy above and there's apparently a negligent condition existing upstairs and the association is saying it's your responsibility and you're saying it's theirs and everybody's saying it's his mm-hmm. and the, he's saying it's the guy downstairs, <laughs> how do you – I mean, that's a big issue to work that out before you even litigate, no? It is. I think you know, a lot of people correctly take the position that you know, if it's not coming from within the interior finishes of my unit, it's not my fault. Association, you have the obligation to maintain – Do they? And it depends on the kind of documents, right. but I would, say, I would say by and large – Yes, you're, you're probably going to find an obligation by the association to rectify that condition. You know, I wish we had more time. A construction Never defect law, mm-hmm. you know, affects everybody. Uh, it, it really does. Mm-hmm. And um, with the boom that's going on, and now with even more construction down the pike when, when we talk about the infrastructure and so forth, uh, the courts are getting overwhelmed right now. You know that. You're, you're in the trenches. Um, if someone has a question for you, you'd be kind enough to take their call. Am I correct? Absolutely. Anytime. What's the best way to contact you? Well, the best way to contact me, I, I do practice throughout our firm's uh, 10 offices in the state of Florida, but uh, the, the main switchboard in Miami knows where I am at any given time. That's right. Uh, so uh, that number is uh, 305-416-3180. And again, uh, 305-416-3180. That ankle bracelet probably gets annoying at times. It does a little bit, but it only beeps if I get too far away. Well, you know, you have a great firm which has a great reputation, and you have an interesting website. It's actually educational as well. Thank you. Uh, what is the website again? It is uh, LiedeckerDiaz.com, and that is spelled L-Y-D-E-C-K-E-R-D-I-A-Z.com. Lidecker Diaz. That's very easy, especially for a dyslexic like me <laughs> as well. Spencer Mallard, we appreciate you coming on. Well, thank and you. it's more and more stuff come down the road. And possibly we'd like to tap into you to be a uh, legal panel host from time to time. It would be fantastic to come back. Yes, you've been a lot of fun. We appreciate that. Thanks. You know, it goes by so fast. Gary, I appreciate you taking the My time. Pleasure. And Eric Yankowit, you're going to be actually featured on our program in a few weeks, coming close to uh, tax time. Well, remember, put your cell phones down. You're going to get to your location eventually so you can then answer your text as well. You know, life, you may say, it may actually be my own. And also, please remember, be be legal. You've been listening to the award-winning legal news and review, recognized by the Florida Bar's Award of Excellence. Legal News and Review, featuring Michael Santucci from the law firm of Santucci Priori, Located in downtown Fort Lauderdale and practicing intellectual property, business, and entertainment law and litigation. They can be reached at 500law.com or at 954-351-7474. To contact the legal panel hosts and guests, go to BeLegalBuzz.com. And to reach Gary Singer, board-certified real estate and syndicated columnist, appearing in 400 media outlets, including the front page of the money section every Monday in the Sun Sentinel, from the law firm of Gary M. Singer, PA, call 954-851-1448 for legal news and review. Remember, be legal.